This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and the audiobook version of The Best Friend by Jessica Fellows. Kate, this book totally could be us, like the dark, dramatic version of our friendship. Wait, what? Yeah, Bella and Kate, they're kindred spirits like us. Bella is sensible and cautious. Kate is gregarious and just a little dangerous. Yeah, they're also totally toxic. Oh, come on. They're intense. Honestly, it's the men that ruin it all. True. When Bella and Kate come of age, a black seed is set in the heart of their relationship. Over decades, acts of both cruelty and love ferment until one shocking event tests them beyond normal limits. Way beyond. The two narrators of this audiobook make it feel like you're listening in on a pair of best friends conspiring to get into a lot of fun and trouble. The Best Friend explores the darkest corners of female friendship, a place where loyalty and betrayal intersect with deadly consequences. Get The Best Friend by New York Times bestselling author Jessica Fellows on Audible, Libra FM, or wherever you get audiobooks today. On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we are joined by New York Times bestselling author Jasmine Guillory. Her novels include The Wedding Date, The Reese Book Club Selection, The Proposal, and By the Book. Her work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, Cosmopolitan, Bon Appetit, and Time, and she is a frequent book contributor on The Today Show. She lives in Oakland, California, and her new novel, Drunk on Love, is out now which we loved so much. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Jasmine. Thank you for having me. So we are podcast focused on what we like to call complicated women. And so we want to start with Margot, who we loved so much. She is what we like to say complicated. You write, she was too much for some people, for most men especially. She wanted too much. She cared too much. Of course, we think that's perfect and the world should celebrate women with that kind of unabashed appetite for more. But she often feels like she has to downplay her accomplishments, sort of hide that she's the CEO of this winery. So we wanted to talk to you about your development of Margot and how you came to really understand her. Because we do. (laughs) When I first had the idea for this book, it was kind of the setting came to me first. I knew that it would be set in Napa Valley. And then as soon as I knew that, I knew that it would have to be set at a winery. And so one of the main characters would be an owner of the winery. Margot's job came to me first before I knew anything about her. So then in kind of thinking about that, okay, is it a family winery? She must own it with somebody in her family. And so then I figured out that she owns it with her brother. What's the relationship there? How did they come to own it? How does she feel about her relationship with her brother, her relationship with to the to the winery, her relationship to her job. And so when I kind of thought of all of those things, they really helped me get a handle on Margot and who she was and 
what her strengths were, where her idea of herself came from, and a lot of a lot of all that. Yeah, it makes sense. And it's not just her accomplishments. She is hiding, you know, she's just, she's direct. She she has a work mask, but she has feelings, and she relies on Sydney and ultimately Luke to explore those. But she's not, you know, a robot. She's got a lot going on. And what I always say when I tell Kate, when people say, I'm too much, I'm like, you should say thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're, You're welcome. welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yes. So we focus on women on this podcast, as Kate said, but and I'm definitely a Margot, but I could deeply relate to Luke in this book, which thank you for giving me something to relate to in both of them. He is a Silicon Valley tech superstar who quits. I love this in the on the back of the book. It says in a blaze of burnout, which is perfect. <laughs> and so like Luke, I started at a big law firm. I was the superstar junior associate. And a few years later, it was killing me. It was not just the hours, but the insidious things. And, and Luke has a whole other layer on top of, of what normal burnout might look like. And, and wanting something different from your life, a life that demonstrates a different kind of value than just money and prestige, but, but time and passion, something else. So, but I'm still an ambitious person, as Luke is. So I tend to burn the candle at both ends. <laughs> so, and you are writing books at a demanding pace. I wanted to talk about, we can talk about Luke some, but without giving away where he ends up, how I want to also talk about burnout and how we avoid that and how when if it's your, it's your motive to just go, 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 what do you do to pull back on that? That's one thing that a lot of us have thought about, especially in the past two years, right? I think yes. The pandemic brought up some of those feelings for many of us because I think at first, Many people kind of just threw themselves into work and figuring out how do we do this from home? Okay, I can still do it. We can do everything. And then realize, do I want to do everything? (laughs) Because when I do everything with work, that means that I'm not doing some of the other stuff. And even when work brings you joy, even when you do like your job, that doesn't mean that you want to devote your entire life to it. And so I think that's something that a lot of people are kind of trying to figure out in how do I have some sort of work-life balance? How do I bring myself joy in ways that aren't my work? How do I feel a sense of accomplishment in things that are not located on my laptop, right? And so Luke is figuring that out during the book. And I think so many people have for so long kind of thought about checking off boxes and that prestige and that that's everything that matters. And so it is often hard to kind of figure out what else there is and what else you want, mm. which is, I think, really Because those boxes have been presented to us. It's very right. easy to look at them and say, oh, this is easy, got this, got this. But, but having to figure out for ourselves, that's much more complicated. Right. Absolutely. And we're all three lawyers on the phone, which we will talk about, but I feel like we are even more compulsive box checkers. So it's like a little harder for us, I feel like. Yes, that's right. We're we're all about a checklist. I mean, the gold star, everything. But so I have told a million people to read this book even before it came out. I've been, I mean, we love it. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I always say to everyone, I'm like, it is hot. I mean, it is. And so I ha- I cannot talk to you and not ask about this. I got to talk about the sex scenes in this book. I-, I understand that most people reading this book will have had sex 
maybe even good sex, but it's really hard to write a good sex scene that's not cliched or gross or just just doesn't land, you know? It's like you're reading the words, but you're not feeling it. Yours are amazing. So I, I have to ask, like, oh, what do you, well, yeah, sure. just from, I, as a writer, I mean, how, what do you try to focus on or when writing intimacy? It's, it's, it's hard, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, I, I spend a lot of time really thinking about where the couple is in their relationship mm. because it's going to be different, you know, for instance, Luke and Margot at the very beginning of this book, when they barely know each other and it's just, they're starting to fall for one another. So, so I really kind of try to think about, put myself in that character's position. You know, what do they know about this other person? What are they attracted to in this specific part of the book? And think about it from each of their perspectives to kind of figure out like, what is fun about this? What is good? What, what may not be, you know, what are, what's the balance there? And so, cause I think of sex scenes, like most other things in books are about character, right? Who is this person? What do they care about? And what's hot specifically to them? And that makes the biggest difference. Yes. Oh, and it's just so good. It's right. And I think about how there was so much of let's take turns. I want to be in control and this is what I'm used yeah. to. But also, I this is the one place where I feel like I can let it go a little bit and let you be fully in control. And, and I feel safe for that. And it is. You're so right. Their character is really... Um, infused in the in those scenes so good mm. but now I'm going to take a sharp left turn away from sex and talk about siblings <laughs> yes <laughs> sharp left because very total mind shift here now lots of romance novels include families of origin mothers sisters and but they're often a sounding board or an ally which is they're great devices and and certainly they play a huge role in who we are as people but you gave Margot a brother who is a source of tension and conflict and really underlying. Not They're not in a feud. They're not in a fight. They're actually working together, but they're so different. And there's also kind of this miscommunication or this secret between them that we, we find out as the book unfolds. I thought that was such a great way to use siblings because it feels very true to life there's so much of an undercurrent of either jealousy or competition or just uh, so much goes on in in from a childhood to adulthood and I thought it was so brilliant and I wanted to know what you were exploring with that with with well you know I was really thinking about like what would it be like to run a business with your sibling, right? Like you have known each other since birth. Every sibling has like, when I was seven, yes. you, you know, when you're like in your 40s. And, and so, so what would that relationship be like? How could you, how could you run a business together without some of that coming up? And I think the answer to that is it probably would come up at least at first and you would have to work your way through it and figure that out. And how can we have our separate relationship that's business versus siblings and kind of work your way into it? And especially if at the beginning you're kind of thrown into it, right? Like, like Margot and Elliot were, if you don't consciously decide to do this together, then maybe you're not going to have those conversations at first. Maybe you're not going to figure it out for a while. And so, you know, at the beginning of this book, Margot and Elliot are still in the 
we haven't quite figured it out stage. And so I really wanted to explore that and what that would be like for each of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true that they're, they are thrown into it. But but it's also just hard. It can be hard to talk to as siblings. It's just, yeah. you know, you just know you're together. You're kind of stuck together and right. you don't always want to dig too deep there. I just thought that was really great. And it's also it showed a real vulnerability for Margot. She is so, even with Luke, she has to put on a face sometimes when, when things aren't right between them. And she can't, with Elliot, you see yeah. how it gets to her. And yeah. we don't always see it with Luke, but we really see it with Elliot. And I just thought it was great for her character and also the dynamic. I really appreciated that. Yeah, and so Thank accurate. So we both, Corinne and I both have brothers. And so that was very, oh, yeah. very relatable for, for both of us. No one makes me feel <laughs> yeah. more insecure than my brother. A hundred percent. Same, same no right here. And if I had to work with him, I have no idea what would happen. So, so I wanted to talk about writing books that you yourself couldn't find, you know, namely ones with smart black women at the center doing fun and exciting things. I had read an article that I just wanted to read in an interview where you said, my vision of a writer has always been someone quiet, someone introverted, and especially someone white. I saw this pattern in so many of the girls in the books I read and loved as a kid. Anne, Emily, Betsy, Harriet, Claudia, Meg. When I turned to those childhood favorites over to look at the picture of the author on the back, they almost never looked like me. There were books about little black girls, but they were almost exclusively about little black girls during times of struggle. And that passage, like, it so spoke to me because those books were the exact books that I read. I was a really a voracious reader. I understand you were too as a kid. And, and I never thought about it, right? Because when I turned those books over, they did look like me. The characters looked like me. The authors looked like me. And to hear you say that, I can, it just really struck me that you then thought, wait, where are the books for me? And so you, it seems as if you've essentially written the books you wished existed and, and that you wanted to read. So I just wanted to talk to you and hear more about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I haven't quite written the books that I wished existed, right? Because the those books, like I wanted books for a little okay, yeah. when I was little, but I think a lot of, you know, there have now those books do exist mm -hmm. because so many other people have been writing them and they have been published. And I'm sure the answer back then was people were writing them. They just weren't getting published. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, that and perspective so, wasn't So valued. now, like, yeah. I look in the children's section of bookstores and I'm just thrilled with what I see. You know, there's so many picture books with little black girls on the cover, so many middle grade, you know, young adult. Like, I'm just thrilled at that. And like, I think romance has a long history of lots of black women in books and starring in books, but publishing wasn't kind of putting them out to the front, you know, publishing was sort of, you know, maybe publishing them on the corners and you had to find them, you know, you had to look hard for them. Bookstores certainly weren't putting them at front tables. And so I am glad that publishing has, is doing a better job of, you know, putting, you know, putting out those books, putting them in places, you know, doing the marketing to put them in places where people can find them. But there is so still so much more work to do. But I really am thrilled at what is available now for for little girls, you know, like me a long time ago who didn't have those books. And now they're out there in so many bookstores to read. So I'm, I'm really delighted by that. 
But those little girls grow up to be yeah. women who want still yeah, want books exactly. That's what yeah. I was gonna say. by people that look like them yeah. and, and have characters that look like them. And also just, I mean, how it, relatable the human experience, mm-hmm. especially around love, yes, is exactly. that it's universal, mm-hmm. right? Is that's the change in perspective that we're working on and we'll continue to work on. Yeah. But yeah. that's <laughs> that's it. Yeah. So I wanna talk about astrology because as Kate mentioned as I said we are lawyers who have a white knuckle grip on life (laughs) like holding so tightly and one of the just the silly side interests that we've come up with is looking to astrology and saying this is not look this is not in my control it's mercury retrograde I could have done everything perfectly and it's mercury retrograde you know it's just a way for us to be reminded that something else is at play here and so we we like to talk to all our authors and ask them what their sign is and whether they identify it with it we know we looked up that you are a Libra is that right and do you identify as a Libra there are definitely many things about Libras that that I relate to. I mean, obviously, you know, it is the lawyer sign, yes. right? With scales, scales of justice. I know. <laughs> Libras are supposed to be sort of like extroverted people, and that is definitely me. So yeah, so there, there's a lot of Libra that I relate. To. I don't know. However, I, <laughs> I yeah. did a conversation once with a, another author who is, you know, significantly younger than me, and I think people now are well I mean maybe always were but especially now are like into knowing what the other two signs oh, are yes and she asked me what my sign was and I was like well I'm a Libra but I don't know that the, the rising other or moon, ones yeah. and she was horrified <laughs> <laughs> she was horrified oh my gosh we could have looked that it up for you before funny. this actually if we knew your full date of birth <laughs> I know. Could... people have volunteered to do that but I need to figure out what time I was born I think I don't know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So, so we know that one of the ways that you, or I, I'm, I'm assuming, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, actually, let go a little bit is yoga. I've seen that you've been doing it every day for a long period of time now. I, that is also one of my tools to let go. That is where it started for me was on the four corners of the mat. That was, I, I offered myself so much more grace and compassion and surrender than I ever could in my real life. So what is yoga doing for you and how did you come to it? Well, you know, it's funny because I feel like I've been doing yoga most of my life. Like my mom, I grew up in Berkeley. My mom did yoga, you know, when I was little and she would like come home and teach me things. And so, so I've sort of learned little bits of it throughout my life. And, you know, what you just said about offering yourself much more grace than you would in your regular life. Like I remember one yoga class that I went to where you know, it, like it was, a, it was a hard class. At one point, I was just like in child's pose for a while, and I and I remember distinctly this because I remember being there and then like beating myself up about it and like thinking like everybody else in this class is working so hard. They're probably staring at me and thinking like, what is she doing here? She's just been in child's pose for the past three minutes. Like, why is she doing this? Blah blah. And then the teacher. Then, you know, everybody come into child's pose. Most of you are already there. And I was like, oh, wait. Oh, (laughs) okay. So other people are, I'm just not the, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, and so I think that that moment really did teach me like, maybe you should not 
because a uh, yoga class is not for you to beat yourself yeah. up about what you can't do mm -hmm. it's to celebrate what you can and so i have really tried to take that perspective to my yoga practice and like kind of do what i can and celebrate what i can and like try to do something that's hard for me and if i can't do it like try to do it again the next day and so that is sort of something that i have tried yeah. to carry with me and and give myself a lot more grace than i normally do yes <laughs> yes yes oh gosh all i do is listen to every time we talk to anyone who does yoga and corinne talks about it and i think God, I need to do that every time. But one of these days, <laughs> one yeah. of these days. Yeah. So we had mentioned earlier that we're all lawyers. And so, of course, we do want to talk about that because <laughs> we talked to a lot of lawyers turned authors on here. And, you know, everyone has a different journey. A lot. Yes, a lot. And the thing that really interests us is sort of the question of identity. And, you know, are you a lawyer or are you a writer? And it seems so easy when you're a lawyer to call yourself one, right? I mean, you went to law school, you're practicing law. And, but when are you a writer? And I know you wrote the, the first few of your books while still practicing law, which some people that we've yeah. talked to have as well. And so we wanted to hear more about how you accepted the identity, I think, of being a writer, finally, I think, now, and what that transition was like for you. Yeah, you know, that was really hard. Mm -hmm. I think, at the, especially at the beginning, it was really hard for me to start calling myself a writer. I felt like I was pretending to be something that I wasn't. It's funny because now it's easy. It's easy to call myself a writer. But I will also often say, well, I was a lawyer. I am still a lawyer. Once a lawyer, always a lawyer. Yes. <laughs> and so, so I don't quite want to give that up. Yes, yeah, you, you know, worked hard that. for that. Because that is still, yeah, that is still part of my identity, even though I have not practiced in a while. So it, I think it is, I mean, because I remember once I was talking to a friend who it was sort of the first like we had you know known each other online and it was the first time that we'd met in person and she had said like oh actually like are you a writer do you write and and i i paused and she was like do you write then you are a writer and i was like okay <laughs> but it, it sort of took me a while to be able to like actually call myself that so i think that especially because you know i had like I feel like, especially for people who are lawyers, that really is part of your identity. And so it it was yeah. hard to kind of think of myself as something else. And I also think, you know, as a writer, when you say that you're a writer, people often want to ask a lot of questions about what you write. And so sometimes that feels very personal, especially if you haven't published anything yet. And so it was hard for me to like, give myself that as part of my identity but yeah. but yeah that definitely took a while yeah yeah you know what you said about uh, it really is part of your identity as a lawyer I it feels true I felt like I was a lawyer before I was a lawyer I mean I knew yeah. I want I wanted to be one I majored in political science that in college I felt like that was part of my identity I just wasn't there yet and so I I I can relate to that very much so and it ties back to Luke. Mm -hmm. He is feeling like he doesn't know what his yes. identity is. And and sometimes that identity is true and real. And sometimes it's a trap. And it's, sometimes it's just, oh, I don't know what else to put on. And so, you know, you have to negotiate that, that period of time in between. But he is very much going through that. And that is with his mom and the shame of 
of being afraid he would disappoint her. Mm. It, it's a lot. It's, it's yeah. a, a lot. And I loved seeing Luke in that place. I loved seeing, I loved that it was the man. Yes. I loved that he was attracted to her Margot success. as her, like, yes, her success and her strength. And I loved that that whole dynamic just worked so well. And that well. he, as the man, beautiful. was worried about whether he was good enough for her because she was so successful yeah. and so smart. Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> loved it. Yes. So we just, I know you have to, you have a tight schedule today, but we want to just close with anything that you're loving, a book you're reading, TV, anything. I just finished reading On the Rooftop by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. It is actually just got announced as the new Reese book club pick, which I'm thrilled about. It is so good. It's about, you know, sort of back to our conversation about family. It's about a mother and her three daughters who she has trained for years to be, you know, singing group. It is set in the 1950s in San Francisco. They sort of are a jazz singing group. But, you know, the three of them kind of want different things than mm. than their mother does. Mm. And so the book is about them, all four of them, figuring out what they truly want. And I, I just really loved it. Yeah. Oh, I love that's a journey we love, yes. too. Yeah. Figuring out what you really want. It's not easy. People throw not it around easy. like, figure out what you want. It's not easy. It takes a yeah. lot of work and exploration <laughs> yeah. and insight and, and also trial and error and mistakes. And some of those yeah. things are very scary to people. So Absolutely. Yes. well, Jasmine, thank you so much. Drunk on Love is out now. It is amazing. Please read it. Buy it get it from your library you will love it you will not regret it and then you'll go back to every other book you've ever done well thank you so much thank you so much this has been pop fiction women with corinne and kate if you enjoyed this show please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them yes tell them to listen and then to follow on spotify or review and subscribe on apple podcasts and of course share on social media tag us with your favorite books tv shows and movies starring complicated women on facebook and instagram at pop fiction women or on twitter at pop underscore women for more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman go to popfictionwomen.com and keep it complicated